Father, we give you thanks and praise for tonight. Lord, we just invite you into our Bible study, Lord, that your Holy Spirit be here and minister directly to our spirits. Father, we just ask for a clear and unobstructed path to our spirits. Lord, that we have ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts to receive your message tonight for your people. Satan, you're not welcome in this place. We bind you and any spirit, not of the Holy Spirit, that has an assignment against this Bible study or anyone in it or anyone listening to it. We bind Satan first, then the strong man, then any principality or wicked spirit in high place that be trying to take authority over this over this Bible study. We bind you, we break your power, we curse your plans at their very roots, we break all lines of communication between you and other kindred spirits, not of the Holy Spirit, that are trying to disrupt. And Father, we just ask you to bring in angels, Lord, to drive out any remaining spirits that they all go wandering in dry places. Father, we give you thanks and praise again for tonight. Speak to your people. We empty ourselves as vessels ready for you to fill us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all those that agree, say amen. A good evening. We are here at Sandy's house tonight, and it's kind of summertime, so we're, you know, taking it easy and uh, going from house to house with the gospel and just with teaching. And, and of course, in August, we'll be back at the, uh, at the rec center. Uh, but uh, this week, um, people are on vacation and all that. People are coming in and going out. But the podcast should be coming pretty regularly. Um, this week we're going to be speaking about a very important uh, part of the believer's life. It's the believer's covenant, identity, and authority in Christ. Did you know that you as a believer have a covenant with Christ? A covenant, of course, is an agreement. And that agreement, which is sealed with Christ's blood, gives you authority. And tonight, we are going to go pretty in-depth into that. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started. You know, everything in the kingdom is appropriated by faith, demonstrated by action, and granted by grace. Everything, not some things, but everything in the kingdom. Okay, you know that we're kingdom people, right? And that Jesus... All he ever preached when he was here for 33 years, when he preached, all he preached was the coming kingdom of God. So we are kingdom people, right? So everything in the kingdom is appropriated by faith, demonstrated by action, and granted by grace. Okay, so we're going to start tonight by talking about the covenant. Christ's covenant with us opens the door to our identity, and furthermore, our authority in him. Turn, if you will, with me to Leviticus chapter 17. That's Leviticus chapter 17. And this is really the root scripture for our, uh, for our, our covenant in Christ. Leviticus chapter 17, and if you go down to verse 14. For as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. In other words, the life is in the blood. You guys ever heard that said before, that the life is in the blood? Well, tonight we're going to talk about the life, our everlasting life, that's in his blood. Now turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 13. You guys are going, oh man, Mikey, here we go. (laughs) Jumping around the Bible tonight. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. What we're talking about here is a covenant. Okay, a covenant 
is an agreement or a contract. Okay, so when when uh, when you got married, of course, you signed uh, you signed a license. You got a license, and you and you 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 uh, have a covenant agreement, not only with God, but you also have a covenant agreement or a, a license agreement in your county, in your state, in your city, saying that you're married. If you own a business with someone, you have a, a covenant or a contract or an agreement. Now, in days of old, um, people used to seal covenants in blood. So the interesting thing about this is that as far back as recorded history goes, men have, uh, men have been doing covenants. Even you've got societies that have never read about scripture or whatever, and they just know for some reason that the covenant is supposed to be sealed in blood. And what it signified is, especially, for example, in Africa, where you would see uh, the, uh, the, the tribal chiefs, they'd, they'd, uh, before they did anything, they would cut or do an incision or, or some sort of a mutilation on their body. And they would take the blood and they would mix it with the other chief. Basically, what's saying is what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine, right? God is making a covenant with us, right? God does nothing outside of covenant. God is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. Christ did this so that he may sanctify the people through his own blood. Understand that Christ is a perfect sacrifice. You know, every year in Jewish tradition, uh, the, uh, the, the priest would go up and he would take, uh, he would take some blood from, uh, from a bull and he would go into the tabernacle and he would go into the holiest of holy places. This is a one place where nobody else would go, where the, the priest would meet with the very spirit of God in the tabernacle. And this guy had to be, I mean, clean, clean, clean. As a matter of fact, what they would do is they would, uh, they would put bells on one of his legs and they would tie a rope to his leg. And uh, if they didn't hear from him for a while, they'd be like, hey, dude, are you alive? Because if he went near the glory of God, if he sat on the mercy seat inside their tabernacle, and we'll do a tabernacle teaching soon, which explains all the different parts of the tabernacle and what the holiest of holies is and what was in the tabernacle and what was in the Ark of the Covenant and all of that. But as he sat on the mercy seat, as a representation for the people with the blood, if he was unclean, if he was, un, if he was not clean, clean himself, he would die. And they'd have to drag him out of there by one leg, you know, because nobody else was allowed to go into this place. So Jesus came and he lived a sinless life, right? For 33 years. And he died on a cross for our sins. Now, God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. God does nothing outside of covenant. You know that that Bible you're looking at right there is full of covenants. It starts at the beginning. Some of the covenants that we've got in the Bible are the covenant, of course, between Adam and God or Adam and Eve, right? When you look in Genesis. Uh, then, of course, you've got the covenant with Noah, where, uh, where God was going to bring calamity upon the world in the way of a flood. And he warned Noah and he made a covenant with Noah that Noah and his children and their wives would, uh, would basically restart the human race. Then you had his covenant with Abraham, okay, into which we were grafted in. And we're going to touch more on that later. But basically, uh, it is the, the promise that the Jews live by today. Then after the, after the Abrahamic covenant, then of course he, 
he made a covenant with King David that uh, someone, one of David's descendants would be sitting on the throne of Israel forever as long as they followed God's uh, commandments and, 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 this, you know, and, the, uh, and the way that, that God told David to live his life. You know, David made a lot of mistakes uh, and a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, you know, David was an adulterer. David, David killed so many people that God wouldn't even let him build his own temple. The scripture said that David was a man after God's own heart. Interesting, huh? He was a man after God's own heart because he realized really who he was. And if you look at the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms were written by David. And you see that when David fell, when David made a mistake, when David stumbled, as all of us do, David was very quick to repent of his sin and to get back up again. You know that, that God doesn't care how many times you fall. God only cares about how many times you get up. You see, we fall all the time, and God is not surprised. God's not sitting up there going, man, I can't believe that you did that. I, I, you just blew me away when you did that. God is not surprised about that. So it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up. And of course, with David, that was a big thing. When David fell, no matter what he did, he was very quick to confess his sin, and God, as he's promised, if you're quick to confess your sin, he's just as quick to forgive it and to what? To cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, some people say, well, yeah, but how come I, if, if God doesn't remember my sin, then how come you know I still hear about it or I still think about it later? Well, the devil doesn't forget about your sin. When the Bible says that God forgets about your sin, it means that it's not counted against you anymore. You know that before you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you were literally building up a, you know, a sin scoreboard. The scripture says in the book of Revelation that, that on judgment day, the books will be opened. And those books represent all the sin that every human being that has ever existed, ever lived, has ever done. Imagine that. Every little thing that you've ever done, good, bad, otherwise, everything, every action, every, the Bible says that every idle word that's come out of your mouth, everything, even that bad word you said that nobody heard you when you said it to the guy who cut you off in traffic, even that time you scalded your hand and you just made that exclamation that all of us have made at some point or another, every idle word. The thing that nullifies all of that is the first line on that book is, did you accept the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes or no? If you did, guess what? None of that is counted against you. Right under that, all the sins that are supposed to be there are all covered in blood. They're all covered with Christ's blood. And the scripture says that they're washed as white as snow. So that, that, is, that is really an awesome thing about God. And I'm sorry, I kind of got off on a tangent here about it, but it, it, it really is awesome to think about the, the covenants that we share. Um, then, of course, the last covenant is Jesus' covenant with us as believers. And if you, you don't need to turn there, but if you want to read about Jesus' covenant with us, in combination, of course, with the Abrahamic covenant from, from uh, Genesis, you can read about that in Romans 11, 17 through 24. We find two more covenants left to be completed in the scripture. They have not come to pass just yet. Uh, did you guys know that? We have two more. They're uh, God's covenant with Israel and God's covenant with Palestine, believe it or not. And these are both going to take place in the new millennium. Okay, the new millennium is we, we're talking, you know, we're talking about after the rapture. We're talking about after the Antichrist. We're, we're talking way deep in Revelation, y'all. This is something that has not happened 
yet. Why is covenant important to God? A covenant is an agreement, as I said before, between two people. Okay, there is no intercessor or mediator that can come between you and Christ to intercede or to uh, or to pray on your behalf or to bring the message to God or whatever. I don't care how traditional it is. I don't care what they, they, they you know, if it, how old it is, how many hundreds of years it's been around. The, the scripture says that there is no priesthood nor intercessor that is to stand between us and Christ. We have an advocate in the Father. Jesus is our only intercessor to the Father. What makes our covenant unique? What happens in a normal covenant, if I come to Sandy and I say, well, Sandy, we're going to make an agreement here and we're going to make it in blood, you know, Sandy would cut her arm and I would cut my arm and we would agree that we were going to do this or that, whether it be I was going to buy land or we were going to, you know, have peace between our tribes or whatever it was. Or if, if, uh, if I was going to go to uh, go to Leo and Leo was going to do dentistry work for me and we were back in the day, you know, I'd cut my arm and I'd sign Leo's bill in blood, you know, hey, man, here's my blood saying that I'm going to pay, you know. This is an interesting thing, though, because this, our covenant, is a unilateral covenant. We have nothing to do with that covenant. It is simply Christ's covenant with us. It isn't our covenant with Christ. It's his covenant with us. There's no commingling of blood. It's all his blood. It's made and sealed in his blood. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking here, and this is the night uh, that he was betrayed. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In giving us his blood, he gives us his life. You see, he gives us his life. Well, how does he do that? Well, if you turn to Revelations chapter 3, Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will dine with him and him with me. You see, the born again experience is how Christ delivers his covenant to us. And again, it has nothing to do with us. It's a gift. It's by grace, as we said before. It's, it's, a, it's a gift that we accept by faith. Okay, we demonstrate in action, and we're going to talk about action in just a little bit, but it's given to us by grace, which means God's love for us, which is undeserved, God's sacrifice for us. I mean, God wants to give us everything. Not only does he want to give us the kingdom, but the Father gave us his only begotten Son. Isn't that amazing when you start to really think about what that means? that the creator of the universe and everything in it loved you so much that he sent his own son to shed that precious blood of his so that you and I could spend eternity with God. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, New things have come. Now, this is important because the scripture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is saying that we are a new creation. 
a new creation. We're not talking about regeneration. We are talking about a new creation. You look nothing like what you used to be. You feel like nothing that you used to be. You talk like nothing that you used to be. You sound, people look at you and they say, man, there's something different about you. Yes, I am born again. I am a new creation in Christ. We are made anew. I mean, think about that. By confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, accepting him, taking him at his word, okay, being baptized in water, coming up with him in, in, in representation of, the de- of his death and burial and resurrection, you are actually taking Christ into yourself. And that's why John said that he may increase and I decrease. That's, that's kind of, that was a prophetic statement by John that represented us as believers. Do you know that the longer you hang out with Jesus, the more you start to look like him, the more you start to talk like him, the more you start to act like him? You know, he commingles himself with you, not his blood with you, but his spirit with your spirit. And together they battle against our flesh. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 3. Go down to verse 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Now remember that, that the Abrahamic covenant in the book of Genesis okay, said that Abraham would be blessed to the thousandth generation, his seed, you see? So when we're grafted in to the Abrahamic covenant, which means we've been made a part of it, If you are in Christ, you are part of Abraham's seed and yours is the heritage by the right of God's undertaking given to Abraham. The blessings that the Jewish nation has experienced and will continue to experience um, because they are God's chosen people. Okay, even though they have fallen away and not understood that Christ is the Messiah, okay, they still have the Abrahamic promise. Why? Well, because it's not dependent on Abraham. This is something that God did. It's the undertaking of God, God's undertaking to Abraham, which means God gave it to him. Abraham had nothing to do with this. God wants to give you the kingdom which is heaven and everything in it. He wants to give that to us as our inheritance. And he's grafted us in to the Abrahamic covenant as well. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And in verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. What is he saying here? It's very simple. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the fruit of the vine was the church, right? But what he's saying, what does abide mean? To rest, to rest, to trust. That's it. And this is one of the biggest problems that we have as believers is taking God at his word. These are all covenantal promises of God. See, here in John 15, 9, it says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Rest in my love. Trust in my love. Our only part of this covenant that we need to do is to trust and obey. You see that? Trust and obey. He sent us the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a teacher. So it's nothing to do with us. We are not 
we are not responsible for doing anything else with this covenant, but to keep it, to keep it, to follow it in the way of, uh, of obeying and trusting in Jesus. Now that we've talked about the, uh, now that we've talked about the covenant, let's talk about identification. Okay, because once you understand that there's a, there's a covenant and that covenant gives you certain rights, okay, and those rights are scattered all over the Bible. Well, then we need to talk about identification. Well, who are you in this covenant? What do you represent in this covenant? So if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, that's Hebrews chapter 10, and we're talking verses 12 through 14. But he, Christ, of course, having offered one sacrifice for all sins, for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. I, I think about that and I look at it and I say, man, it's kind of like Jesus just did his thing and then he's sitting down and just waiting for those enemies to fall. How's he going to do that? Well, the scripture says that the battle is the Lord, but he's going to use us as his battle axe. He's going to use you and I as his weapon of war. Jesus said, what I do, you do, and greater, for I go to the Father. See, Jesus came here to live an example, to show us how we're supposed to live as, as disciples, as believers, as, uh, as, as people that are sharing in his covenant. You see, when you, when you start really realizing who you are in Christ, your attitudes change, your mindset changes. You, you start walking with your head held high because you know that because of what Christ did for you, that you really don't have much to worry about here or in the life after because God is in control. You see, again, this is, this is a new life. It's your body, his life. Let me say that again. It's still your body, okay? It's still the same body, same, still same flesh here. I'm still the same, same you know, 40-year-old guy, got saved about 14 years ago, but now it's Christ's life in me. I live what Christ wants me to do in the life that he's given me because of the covenant that he's made that I've been that I've been made a part of through accepting him as my lord and savior. Because of his because of his sacrifice, then now we can legally be called Christ's. You see, we belong to Christ. He bought us with a price. So there's no way that the enemy can say, well, you don't deserve them. You don't, you don't have any right to them. You see, because you know that the, the, the scripture says that the devil goes before God every day to accuse the brethren. That's where, that's where all the memory of the sin comes from. Anytime you remember an old sin that you did at one point or whatever, or, or actually that it comes into your mind, that's not God bringing that up to you. God would never bring up sin to you that you used to do in your life, or even a sin you did yesterday, or a sin you did five minutes ago. The devil's the one who comes and reminds you. And I, I, I'm fond of telling people, when the devil tells you, you know, where you've been, remind him of where he's going, <laughs> you know. And the only way you're going to know where he's going, of course, is to stay in the scripture and to read the book. See, we've read the book. We know, we know the story. We know the end of the story because God, who knows the end from the beginning, already told us the story in the scripture. And we know that Satan's nothing but a loser. Somebody told me the other day, Satan's a paper tiger. I love that. That's, that's great. I think it was you, Sandy. You told me 
that, that uh, Sheila used to tell you that Satan's a paper tiger. You know, the only thing that gives Satan any power in your life is you. And all he does is he sets the stage and he just kind of puts his foot out and sees if you fall for it. You understand? Go to Romans 8.14. Romans 8.14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Everyone who's being led by the Spirit. Are you being led by the Spirit? See, that, 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 that's really the question. Are you being led by the Spirit? Or are you being led by that stinking thinking? Well, there's no reason for you to be led by the stinking thinking. Because, I, I mean, let me ask you, do you ever wake up honestly? Do you, do you ever wake up and feel, you know, I, God couldn't possibly love me today. God couldn't possibly love me today. I just feel so bad. And the devil, of course, is going to come along and help you. Yeah, you're right. God doesn't love you today. Let me show you something. Go to Galatians chapter 3. And this is Paul writing to believers here. Verse 26. For you are all, say all, all. say all. all, all sons of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. Even if you feel that today you're not a son or a daughter, are you still a son or a daughter? Yes. Amen. Yes, you are, of course. And if you go down to verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor, nor freeman. Basically, what he says is we're all the same. There's no man, women, no nothing. You're all the same. There's nothing. Oh, that person's a super Christian. I couldn't possibly be as godly as that person. I assure you uh, that that person probably feels the same way about some other person. You see, my, my old pastor used to tell me, he said, Mikey, new levels, new devils. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you're at on your climb. You see what I'm saying? Where you're growing, there's always new challenges. It's always moving forward with Christ. It's always a vertical. We need to be looking for that vertical relationship moving towards Christ. Every step of the road, there's going to be challenges. That's why Jesus said that without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. I mean, the, the whole deal is pretty simple. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. The whole faith walk could be summed up into two words. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Those are the two easiest words to say and the two hardest words to follow. How long does it take you to trust somebody? Long time. Amen. And, and if I told you you had to obey them too? Oh, oh man. You see what I'm saying? It, it, those are the two hardest words to do. Do you trust me? Will you obey me? Okay. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5. Verse 5. For you are all, say all, all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. We are all, say all, sons of day. How many times you wake up and your day has a big, black, ugly cloud hanging over it? See, this is where you need to remember the scripture. And you say, no, I'm a son of day. Satan, take that cloud back to the pits from hell where it came from. It smells like smoke. And I'm not going to have that foggy cloud over my head because the Bible says that I'm a son or daughter of day. You see? So what do we learn about Christ's identification with us? Okay, there's, there's more of these scriptures that are in your notes. I am a son by adoption, which means that we are all sons and daughters. Jesus is the only begotten son of God, okay? But we are all adopted. I am a son by faith, okay, which is trust. I am a son 
of light, not of darkness. You see, Paul said that before we were sons of darkness. Jesus said that the Pharisees were of their father, the devil. You see, so he made it pretty clear, didn't he? You're either of one or the other, aren't you? You're either a son of God or you're a son of the devil. Well, which one are you? You understand? I am a son of the day, a son of the day, you see. Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. But you ever want to know your inheritance, what Christ left for you? He wrote it right here in the book of Ephesians through the Apostle Paul. All of it. This whole book is nothing but what Christ's promises are for his people. We're still talking about identification, right? So here, if you go to verse 6 in chapter 2, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which means that right now, as a believer, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Do you know that there's a little part of you sitting at the right-hand side of the Father right now? Think about that if you can. (laughs) My mind doesn't go there. It's like, what? But if you think about it, there's a little part of you right now because Jesus said, I abide in you and you abide in me and I abide in the Father. You understand? And if Jesus left and you abide in him, he didn't say, okay, well, I'm going to drop you off. You see, Jesus is outside of time and space, right? So he is at the right-hand side of the Father right now. And the right hand, as you saw, it's in big capital letters. It's a special place to be. See, so you, as you identify with Christ and you understand that you are with him, okay, you, you start to understand what I mean by saying, my body, his life. My body, his life. Because he's living his life in us and through us. In us and through us. This is our new identity. We have no need for impotent religion at all. No need. I mean, that's, that, that, this, is, this is real relationship, folks. I mean, all this stuff that trying to make God accept us. Hey, listen, it's very simple. I think we've understood tonight. All you got to do is take God at his word. We don't need to do repetitive prayers and walk around the block three times and stand on our foot and jump up and down and, and any of that. None of that stuff. None of that religious stuff that man has created to glorify himself, to make himself acceptable to God. You know, you're never going to be acceptable to God unless you accept the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Just as our revelation of his covenant with us helps us understand our identity with him, so the revelation of his identity with us or our identity in Christ brings us understanding of our authority. You know you have authority in Christ? If you go where we've been tonight, what we've done is we've established, first of all, that Christ's agreement with you is in his blood, okay? It all has to do with him. And because of his blood sacrifice, that seals the covenant forever. Then he's invited you through the sinner's prayer and and, and accepting him as Lord and Savior and uh, and dying and and being resurrected uh, through water baptism, okay? He's invited you to be a part or identify with him in all that he's done. Why? Well, because he wants you to understand your authority. You know, Jesus gave us authority, and that authority comes to us in the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Go down to verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power, in power. In Acts 1.8 You can turn there if you want to, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit 
has come upon you. We've talked about being born again. We've talked about water baptism. We need to talk about the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit come upon you or be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When you uh, when you got saved, okay, you accepted uh, you accepted Christ into your heart, and His Spirit joined your spirit. Scripture says His Spirit ministers to our spirit. And of course, we started seeing that you're a new creation in Christ. You're not the old person you were anymore. So we start to see the fruit of the Spirit, okay? But there's more because the fruit of the Spirit is half the story. The other half of that story is the power of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And these need to be activated either through the laying on of hands or just asking God to give you that. And like everything else in the kingdom, Walk in it by faith. Remember that everything in the kingdom is taken by faith. It's demonstrated in action and given by grace, right? So when you see that a person is walking in the gifts or in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, are you seeing a person who's just kind of, you know, walking the walk, but, you know, doesn't really understand? They just kind of, yeah, I accepted Jesus and and you look at their life and their, their life is still, they're still saying the same old things they used to stay. They're still scared of the same old things they used to be scared of. This is a person who needs to really check where they are with respect to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, not only is he the spirit of truth, but he's also the comforter. He's going to lead you down your life. If you are just saved, you prayed your prayer, that's it. You never ask God for the gifts of the Spirit, what you're doing is you've got Jesus as Savior, but you're not really allowing him to Lord in your life. In Corinthians here, it, it talks about that the kingdom doesn't just come in words. Your words have power. What kind of words are you saying over your situation? Are they spirit-led? Are they spirit-filled words? Last week, we talked about attitude. You know, so who is who is governing that tongue of yours? Life and death are in the power of the tongue, of course. So who who is uh, who is giving you who is giving you the words that are coming out of your mouth? You know, is the church the, the, the church that you attend every Sunday? You know, are you seeing the spirit power in that church? Are you seeing healing? Are you seeing deliverance? Are you seeing are, are you seeing answered prayer? Are you hearing testimonies from people that are saying, "Man, you know, I, I, because of the message that I heard a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, I, I believe God for that, and I prayed about it, and God answered my prayer." Are you seeing people that said, "You know, I was at a at a service the other day at this church, and you know, the word was preached, and and I was healed, or a stronghold that I had in my life was broken down because I heard the word." And I acted upon it and I took God at his word. Or are you going to one of these churches where, you know, your ears are getting tickled? You know, they're telling you what you want to hear there. They got great coffee. They're making you feel good. Hey, we got great music too. We got great stage lighting. We got subwoofers and we got, you know, multiple channel sound and we got great programs for the kids. Yeah. (laughs) But are you experiencing a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, of the gifts of the Spirit? See, this is something that we need to look at. Jesus said, we're not to judge one another, of course. But Jesus said that you could tell a tree by its fruit. So we are to be fruit inspectors. If you're going to a church where you're seeing backbiting, you're seeing people, oh, did you hear about pastor so-and-so? And did you hear about his wife? And did you hear about sister so-and-so? Oh, we got to pray for sister so-and-so because, you know, last week she was out there. Or we got to pray for brother so-and-so because I saw him the other day and he was... That's not a spirit-filled church. That's a fleshly church. 
And they need to cut that out. But unfortunately, Jesus said that at the end time, and does anybody here disagree that we're not in the end time? That the church would be an apostate church. And the apostate church is a church in error. This is literally the measuring rod for your church. Are you seeing miracles? Are you seeing healing and deliverance? Are you seeing answered prayer? Are you seeing godly testimonies of things that God is doing in other people's lives? Jesus said it himself. If you look in Luke chapter 10, go to Luke chapter 10. Verse 19, I'm sure you've read this before. But I have given you authority, which is dunamis, or delegated power. The word here for authority in the Greek is dunamis, which is uh, where we get our word for dynamite, or delegated power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing, say nothing, say nothing, nothing, nothing shall injure you. Nothing. You see, nothing. This is why we need to learn our scripture, folks. This is why when the devil comes and tells you all these things, say, no, Satan, you're a liar. Because here it says that nothing that you bring will injure me. Okay? But now... If you give it the power, it will injure you. Jesus said, it is as you say, as you say. Well, I don't want it to be as I say. I want to say what he says. You see, turn to, uh, turn to 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who's in the world, folks? Satan is in the world. Who's in us, folks? Christ, right? Let me show you. In Numbers 23, 19, and you can write it down. You don't need to turn there. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. So what you're basically doing when you fall into what the devil says as opposed to what God says, what are you saying? Aren't you saying God's a liar? See, this is some serious stuff, folks, because you don't need to do that. Here is your identity. God has given you the right. He has imputed this to you. He's given it to you. He's counted it to your account. If I impute a million dollars to you, or if any of you care to impute a million dollars to me, I'll give you my bank account number after the uh, Bible study night. You can impute as much of that million as you'd like into my bank account. But in a spiritual sense, God or Jesus has imputed to us his righteousness, his authority, his power. You see, Revelation 12, 11. Go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even to death. See, that, that takes a serious amount of faith, y'all. When, when, when you say, you know what? I don't care what's going to happen, but I'm going to take Christ at his word. This is, uh, the, remember the little girl who passed away, uh, who got killed in Columbine? I forget her name. It was Cassie something, and I, I feel awful for not remembering. But see, this is, what, this is exactly what we're talking about here. Her faith was so strong that she could look in the face of that killer and say, I'm going to stand for Christ. I don't care what you're going to do. You can, you, can, you can kill this body, but you can't kill my spirit. And as a matter of fact, if you kill my body, all you're doing is you're sending me home the glory quicker. You understand? And let me tell you, does God have a purpose in that? Because people say, well, yeah, but look at her. Does God have a purpose for that? Yes, of course he does. 
Mention Columbine even to non-believers and they'll remember that little girl. And they'll know years and years later that she died for what she believed. Now, non-believers may say, boy, was that stupid? But boy, we, we just sit there and say, wow, Lord, give me a faith like that. You see, your testimony isn't just how you came to Christ, folks. That's not all. That's part of it. Okay? But it's your daily faith walk. It's the confession of your mouth. You see, in the scripture, in the book of Genesis, and I've said this before, God said, God said, God said, God said. And then it says, and it was so. So if you have a covenant with Christ, which is sealed in his blood, okay, and you identify with him, okay, and you're following in the promises of that covenant, and he's told you that he's giving you his power, he's assigned it to you because he's going to go to the Father. Don't you have the same abilities that Christ had and more? I never saw Christ back down from a good old devil whip and fight. Never saw him say, oh, I just can't do this today. Go to Ephesians chapter six. So here, what Paul is saying, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which we will be able to quench or extinguish all the flaming missiles or darts of the evil one. Does it say some? Say all, all, all. Notice how Christ makes it black and white, folks. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no in between here. It's not, oh, well, some stuff we can do. And so why is it that we're still wrestling with these things? Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter one, verse 14. Remember in the, uh, in the garden when Jesus was, uh, was being taken uh, was being arrested. And Peter came along and he cut off the ear of the uh, of the slave, remember? And, and then Jesus put the ear back on. It's like, dude, what did you do that for? Give me that ear. Let me put that back on, you know? And he put it back on the guy's head. And if if I were those Roman soldiers, I'd have turned around and run and done a three stooges. But no, they didn't do that. They arrested him anyway. But what did he say to Peter? He said to Peter, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could call down a legion of angels? You understand? Jesus could call upon angels. Okay, and if Jesus could call upon angels, guess what, brothers and sisters? So can you. Here in the, uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says, Are they not all ministering angels or spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Notice here, it's for us, not to us. They're not sent out to minister to us. They're sent out to minister for us. And what does the word minister mean? To serve. A minister is a servant. So think about that. You can call on angels to serve on your behalf. I call on angels all the time. I was uh, preparing the Bible study today and my computer went on the fritz. I bound and I bound and I covered with the blood and then I, I called in warrior angels. Notice I call on warrior angels and angels all the time before the Bible study to stand around and stand guard and keep away the enemy and all wicked spirits. Because see, they, a, a spirit cannot be killed. You know that a spirit can't be killed? A spirit can only be displaced. It can be moved, but it can't be killed. You understand? So what we do when we deploy angels we basically tell the angel, hey, come on, go, grab that spirit by the hair and go drag him off somewhere. You understand? But you have the ability to call upon angels. Isn't that amazing? This is who you are in Christ, y'all. Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the sign that things not seen are true. Your translations may be a little different. This is, this is uh, from the Bible in basic English, which is a little easier to understand. Now faith is the substitution for things hoped for. Things hoped for. When we speak in faith, we're hoping for something. We don't just speak words of faith for nothing. But we can't, you can't say something as we spoke last week. What you say can totally nullify what you pray. So your faith confession needs to be in agreement with what you desire in your heart. What you say with your mouth needs to be what you believe in your spirit to be true. It needs to be the revelation that God has laid on your heart. You understand that we birth a vision. Okay, so when God lays it in your heart, it's already been done. It's already been done. God is just waiting for you to confess it to make it happen. When you confess it, it happens. But if you pray for it and you see it happening and then you ruin it with your speaking, you've just nullified what you've prayed with what you say. Last week we talked about, hey, even if the doctor gives you a bad report, no, I don't receive that. No, no, even on to death, it said up here a minute ago, even on to death, listen, I'll be on my deathbed Doctor will be saying, you're dying, man. No, I'm not. Call me in denial. But no, 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 I'm not. I believe, I believe, I believe this is what the scripture says. Now, if God's will for my life is different, then God will do what God will do. But I'm not going to help him along the way with my stinking thinking, with my bad confession of my mouth. I'm not going to do it. And I don't want to repeat what we did last week. Get the podcast. Go down to verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. First of all, the interesting thing here is that the worlds, worlds, they didn't drop an S in there by mistake. God made the worlds, which is not just this world, but other worlds. So God made everything. And how did he make it? Well, he made it out of nothing. He made it out of things invisible, things that you can't see, you see. Go to 2 Corinthians. We're getting ready to wrap this up here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And again, we're talking about Christ's power that he's delegated to us. Verse 18. While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. That means they pass away. But the things which are unseen, i.e. the kingdom of God, are eternal. You realize that this earth, it's going to pass away one day? Do you realize that your house, it's going to crumble one day? Do you realize this body's going to die one day? But is your relationship with God ever going to end? Never. It's eternal. It's eternal. And this is something that is so comforting for us as believers. Because if you can get this into your spirit, if you can really get to understand that it's not about what you see. Again, I, I know that this has kind of turned into a certain degree to a little mini, mini review of last week, but it, it always bears repeating that the world says, I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, We don't say that. We say, I'll believe it before I see it. I'll believe it. And because I believe it and because I speak it, I will see it if it's God's will. And it's according to his word. It's going to happen. Faith releases the ability of God to move on our behalf. Faith is gasoline in your spiritual tank. Okay, if you don't have faith, you're not going anywhere. Just like if you don't have gas in your tank outside, 
You're not going anywhere. You may have a vehicle. You may have beautiful tires on it. You may have a wonderful seat. You may even have a wonderful place to go. But if you don't have any gas in the tank, you're not going anywhere. Likewise, let's bring that to the faith walk. You may have a great faith walk. You may be the nicest person. You may walk 50 little old ladies across the street. You may give 90% of what you earn. You may just spend 24-7 in the church. I don't know how you could do that and give 90% of what you earn, but... All of these different things, you can look like you're walking a great faith walk, but you know what? If you're not speaking faith-filled words in your life, if you're not walking by faith, if you're not believing that every word in this Bible is true, that your covenant with God is real, and it's not because of you, but it's because of Him, then you, hey, listen, you've got no faith, and without faith, you can't do anything. God can't do anything on your behalf. Remember, it's your body, his life. Your body, his life. Which means that he wants to do something with that body. But you need to be willing to let him. Does that make sense, y'all? Faith releases God's ability to move in your life. So have faith. Tonight we've covered the covenant, the believer's identity, and his authority. You are a child of God. This entitles you to certain things. Study the scriptures in your notes. Get this into your spirit. This will change your life. This is the kind of thing that we need to hear in today's end time church. We need to understand what God really means with this agreement or this covenant or this testament that he's left for us. Amen?